I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week, Booker Prize winner Marlon James on his latest novel, Moonwitch, Spider King. Marlon James is the author of the Sunday Times best-selling National Book Award finalist Black Leopard Red Wolf, the Booker Prize winning A Brief History of Seven Killings, The Book of Night Women and John Crow's Devil. In addition to the Booker Prize, his novels have won the American Book Award, the Los Angeles Time Ray Bradbury Prize for Science Fiction, the Annisville Wolf Book Award, and the Dayton Literary Peace Prize. Today, we're in the main going to be talking about Molon's latest novel, Moon Witch Spider King. Molon, welcome to Little Atoms. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Before we do talk about Moonwitch, just let's just remind us a little bit about Black Leopard Red Wolf as Moonwitch Spider King is the second novel in a trilogy, the, the middle novel. Um, so yeah, so just remind us about well, I guess the main protagonist of right, Black right, right. Leopard, who was Tracker. Remind us who he was. Right. Well, so Tracker was, you know, a, a guy of um dubious origin who gets well, volunteers, when I say he got dragged in the way. He he gets caught up in the this mission to find a missing boy. And the missing boy isn't what people said he was, and nothing is really as it seems. And the whole story is about how he found the boy lost the boy the boy ends up dead that's not a spoiler alert and just how did everything come to that point and um you know tracker is you know of course the red wolf of the title his best friend is the black leopard of the title but it was that was it that's essentially what it was how this search unraveled and who ended up being loyal and who ended up being betraying the cause and one of the people who in Black Leopard, at least, comes across as one of the betrayers of the cause is Sogolon. Uh, Sogolon, in some ways, is a villain of the story. Sogolon is the person who ends up being this antagonist. So she doesn't come across well in the novel, and she doesn't ha- she doesn't have a very good fate in the novel. But in the second one, Moonwitch Spider King, she's telling the story. And it's essentially, she's been asked the same question, what happened to the boy? And her version of the story is completely different. And Tracker is a completely different character in her version. 
Yeah, I wanted to talk about this idea of telling the story from multiple perspectives. I presume the third novel in the series will do the same. And both novels, I guess Black Leopard, Red Wolf, perhaps more explicitly because Tracker is explicitly a, a sort of unreliable narrator, we could say. Both stories sort of play with the idea of storytelling, something I want to talk about in a little while. But the, the other thing to say is both of them, both Tracker and Sogoland, have abusive backgrounds in terms of mm-hmm. their own, their, their sort of real families. Um, and certainly Tracker in Black Leopard, basically over the course of that quest, the quest, we should say that he's, you know, he's also rather ambivalent about, he sort of gathers around Sogolan being one of those people for a period of time. I guess a, mm-hmm. a sort of, um, a sort of found family of sort of ne'er-do-wells right. and, and mercenaries. Um, tell mm-hmm. us about some of, a couple more of those characters. I'm thinking about, well, you mentioned the leopard, mm-hmm. um, who is his sort of friend and, and lover. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Sondogo the Wait. giant and some of those yeah. some of those people. Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> Black Leopard, you know, the leopard and him are n- never really lovers. You just assume they are because they're both queer and probably have a lot of sex, but not with each other. You know, it's with with um the thing about Moonwitch is one of the things I was very careful not to do is you know to do um to just merely had a reaction to the previous book. So I had to actually forget you know, or tell myself that I'd forgotten the first one because then it would have just been a note by note or a, to- a word for word reaction to the previous book, which and that really wouldn't be a book at all. It'd just mm-hmm. be a reaction. So what that means, among other things is that with Sogolam, some of the characters that were important in Black Leopard are not to her. In fact, some of the characters in Black Leopard do even appear in her book, in her version. And some of the people who are important, such as the shape-shifting lion, his name is Keme, were never, never even appeared in Black Leopard, Red Wolf. So it's, it's even the supporting characters, you know, their, their importance changes. In Black Leopard, the Sadago was pretty pretty important and crucial character he's almost window dressing here whereas and saka barely appears in black leopard but she's a crucial part of this book so even the characters who appear in both novels their importance shifts and indeed that that very quest you know the moon witch tells Sogolan's perspective on that quest to find the lost boy but it's also only part of part of this story if I could say that the majority of this story is her you know telling her backstory and where where she came from so tell us something about her background where she comes from um Sogolan well Sogolan I mean Sogolan's background is even more depressed than Tracker's you know she comes from a village I mean it's one of the places in the book Mitu which is like in the center of the north kingdom and you know she her mother died in childbirth which means that is, you know, according to traditions of the village, that brings on a host of curses. So she's looked upon as cursed. She's so cursed that she actually has no, they don't even bother to name her. And, um, you know, but from, even from then, Sogolan, you know, who wasn't Sogolan at the time, just had a will and a sense of self-determination. And she had to, because nobody was determining anything for her. And um, one day she just decides to escape. She doesn't even know what that means. Um, but she does. And, um, and from then on, you know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of things have happened to her, great things, bad things, but what remains crucial is that Sogolan decides who Sogolan wants to be and where she wants, you know, where she wants to go and what she wants, you know, what she wants to do. But, um, 
in some ways, given their backgrounds, you would think that Sutherland and Tracker would have found some sort of common ground, but they don't. And I wanted to say something about later in the book, her, her sort of great antagonist becomes the um, chancellor of the of the royal court, Aces, like sort of demonic chancellor. Um, tell us something about this character. The AZ is it's funny you said demonic because the AZ is is one of those characters that appears in African legends, mm. um, like by some like him or even Esu. And I think they're it's they're considered sort of demonic characters, which is it's more complicated than that. The fact is the AZ's methods, of course, I don't support at all, and it could be looked upon as demonic, but his you know, his philosophy behind it is pretty rock solid. You know, the, the fact is Asia has seen the future and the future is invasion and the future is colonization. And it's like, if we don't stick with this type of rule, we're going to fall to a bunch of people across the sea, which is, of course, in African history is exactly what happened. So he re, he he represents a hard, you know, the hard choices somebody has to make. And we may not agree with them. And I don't, I don't necessarily agree with him, but he's, as I say, he's seen the future and he's trying to prevent it. When Black Leopard Red Wolf was, was first announced, I think, you know, after Seven Killings had won the Booker Prize, I think at the time it sort of raised eyebrows, you know, in that sort of the way that why would Marlon be wanting to write a fantasy series of all things after just winning the Booker Prize? And of course, with the caveat that these books are like, well, first of all, with the caveat that what will be wrong with that anyway, but also that, you know, these books are, are much deeper and, and denser than that. But I want to talk about what the appeal to you of this sort of deep fantasy saga was. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, lots of reasons, I think. But I mean, I certainly liked, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, so many reasons popping in my head. I'm trying to decide which one to say first. I mean, the first being that I always loved big novels and big stories that I could lose myself in. Um, I, one, because there just weren't a lot of books around. So if I had to choose, I always grab the bigger one because then that's a longer time that I'm spending. Um, there was that. There was that, um, for me, fantasy always meant escape. You know, it meant, um, you know, escaping from the reality and the life that I was in. So I've always latched on to that. Yeah, you know, the, the world uh, the world of, of make-believe was a world I never left behind. I think we still, sometimes when we say fantasy, some people look at fantasy as child's play. And there is that. But you know, the funny thing, the irony is for a lot of children, a lot of teenagers, a fantasy novel is the first time they ever felt mature. You know, because it's the first time they're dealing with, with serious issues. You know, if you were a kid growing up and you read Weetzibat, Francesca Leo Block thing, that's probably the first time you're dealing with sexual identity. So it's it's funny that the stigmas we have, but I really didn't care about any of that because I don't I'm not snobbish about literature. I've never been. I when I tell people that I love crime and punishment and Hollywood wives equally, I'm not trying to be ironic or trying to score a point. I will go to you know, I will I will fight to the death for Jackie Collins. Because for me, the only category I needed for a new book was that it's next. And um, so I, I've always had an omnivorous attitude to literature. I've never had, I've never ranked books. And um, and fantasy, when I'm in a place, one of the things about growing up where I grew up, and, and if you grew up in the, six, in the 80s or the 70s, it don't matter where in the world you live, you probably had the same teenage years. And it wasn't just boredom. It was this sort of endlessly repeatable boredom. It's like that Godfather's album, Burt School Work Death. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and fantasy. 
to say it was an escape. You can tell I'm an 80s kid because I'm sure nobody will ever bring up The Godfathers. <laughs> um, that was a way for me to have more than one life without having to leave my bedroom. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Marlon James. And we're talking in the main about his new novel, Moon Witch Spider King. And Marlon, I said in the first half that, again, particularly with Black Leopard, Red Wolf, I think Moon Witch is, has a slightly more straightforward narrative. That Black Leopard is a book that is, Tracker is a storyteller, and he tells story upon story upon story. There's multiple layers. There's not necessarily what one might expect picking this book up, thinking it was, you know, a, 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 a big, thick fantasy saga novel, is a sort of straightforward adventure plot. 
looked like you know one might find in yeah. Lord of the Rings or or even in apparently you um you once described this as jokingly as a as a, as, a, as an African Game of Thrones in a book like Game of Thrones, um and I presume this part of this idea behind this being sort of a, a multi layered story comes from a storytelling tradition that comes from some of the mythologies that that this book sort of plays mm-hmm. on some of the actual you know the real african mythologies mm-hmm. um yeah well even the idea of playing with storytelling is is very much in african folktale mm-hmm. and oral tradition that um a lot of the the stories are from the trickster or the stories itself trying to trick you or the same characters reappear in a very different story the next day and the day after that and the day after that. The, the whole notion of storytelling and reliability is something that's very Western. And it's tied to a lot of things, including Christianity, that um, the fact that the story is in third person and it's been narrated to you means it's true. And I don't mean true in a sense of factual, but true in a sense of you should believe the narrator. Mm-hmm. unless it announces that they're unreliable. In a lot of non-Western stories, we assume the, the narrator is unreliable. Um, we assume that as the listener, because it would have been oral tradition, I have to listen for it to see if you're tricking me. So to bring that into written um, language is what I am doing. I still wanted to keep that situation where you're not sure if you can trust them or you're not sure if you can. For I mean, personally, when I wrote Black Leopard, I believed Tracker and I trusted him. When I wrote um, Moon Witch, I believed Suglin and I trusted her. And I'm probably going to believe the third person or I don't believe any of them and find my own way. It's it's one of the ways, the, the many ways actually, that I had to break from Western storytelling. And one of the things about fantasy, particularly the fantasy I grew up with, is that in many ways, it's, more, it's, more, it's the most Western of stories. Even when there's stories that go to the East, it's, a lot of those novels are in a lot of ways European medieval historical novels with witches. I mean, it's a reductive way of looking at it, but it's not that far off. And it's not just the witches, it's not just the Europe, it's also the worldview, you know, a hero will come and save us, or the magic child who will become king, or the, the wise elder who leads people, leads people into whatever, and, and evil is evil, and good is good, and it's something clearly defined, and, and nothing in non-Western storytelling is like that. So it was, in, in, for me, tapping into not just different stories, but different ways of telling a story. Tell us something about creating the world in the books then. Mm-hmm. So the, the sort of the Northlands in, in the first book and yeah. the, you know, the North and Southlands well, in the second book. We, we've mentioned, you know, a few times, you know, African Game of Thrones or like, you know, drawing on African mythology. But this is, this is a, a you've created a fantasy Africa in this, in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, one of the things it was—I wasn't trying necessarily to make an absolute fantasy version of an actual part in Africa, even though I did flip maps of of the Lake Victoria region upside down and 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 maps of Ethiopia. So, I mean, there are points where I was um, tracing actual maps, but um, there are two things, there are three things that were at play here. One, it's fantasy, and I still want a map that wouldn't look out of place in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, as much as I as I challenge and I am skeptical of a lot of the Western fantasy, I'm still a fantasy guy. And I'm still, that's the stuff that electrified me. I, I like my knights and dragons and maidens and witches like anybody else. I, you know. I'll be, I'll be the first. I'll, I'll be watching the new Lord of the, Lord of the Rings series. 
So there is that, the, the fantasy elements. Where I want a volcano here and I want a desert here, even though technically those two are never beside each other. So there is a sense of a map that wouldn't exist in reality. And that's important to me because I still write in fantasy. At the same time, I was still very much interested in how climate works in particularly sub-Saharan Africa. Um, in, in the book, I call the desert a sand sea, which is totally the Sahara. But, you know, so, so there is that going, the, the, the sort of actual map making where I'm looking at, I'm trying to remember all the things I learned from geography. And so that in, in a way, the map itself works. But, you know, a lot of the map, though, was just playing service to story. You know, I started out with a sketch so, so that I, I could move along, move in the world as if I knew it. And then as the novels got bigger and deeper, I had to revisit those maps and redraw them and add this and change that. And now I'm at the point where the stories, the stories now follow the maps as opposed to the maps follow the story. And it can be, it can be, it's funny, Yudora Welty says it's about setting. So it's a definer and a confiner. And it's great. It's actually great being confined, knowing that, okay, you can't send that character north because north is that thing. So send them west. And it's almost as if you're writing a novel about London. I now have to conform to London. London can't conform to me if I'm writing about London. No, that's the world that I've, the world I've written and the maps that I have. I now have to be, I now have to respect the maps as opposed to the maps changing to suit my story. Yeah, and and, and just sort of widening that out as well, I wanted to talk about just, you know, how, what's your sort of method for keeping this whole thing together, plotting this entire trilogy mm-hmm. in your mind? I know obviously you just said that, you know, to, to write Moonwitch, Spider King, you, you had to sort of forget a lot of the things that went into Black Leopard, Red Wolf, but obviously, you know, the people, the characters, the place, all of that mm-hmm. has to remain um, so, mm-hmm. so how do you how do you keep a handle on it all? I mean, I barely keep a handle on it all. By the skin of my teeth, as we say. I have I don't remember what color my walls are now because there's so many notes on the walls, and they're all in posted. And there's green, and there's yellow, and there's orange, and there's pink, and there's purple posted. And it's lit, it's almost as if it, they, it that has become the world and sometimes i just glance at the wall to remember where i am and to put something in the book so there's a so there's still a lot of um orchestration going on and there's a lot and i take a lot of notes but i also you know when i'm particularly because i'm writing these things in the first person i have to also forget a lot of that in the sense that you still have to feel that the character is driving a story not me not the writer and I think it's very easy, particularly with fantasy and crime, with, with, the, with the so-called genre novels, that is very easy to slip into formula. And why not? Because the formula works. But um, for me, it was very important that it feels as if the characters are driving it. In fact, for me, a good day was if I ended the writing going, man, I didn't see that coming. It's a lot of planning. It's a lot of plotting. It's a lot of writing down things like where is each character in a certain in at, a, at each point in the novel, but it's also forgetting all of that and letting the character drive the story. There are characters in the story that are you know shapeshifters and people change gender, they change color, sexuality. All of these things are things that are, you know, clearly drawn from elements of ancient African mythology. But they also sit really well in a, you know, in what is, you know, a, basically a contemporary queer novel. 
And mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about those elements of the story, if you would. Well, the funny thing about it, the ironic thing about it, is that, and and this is that the those touches, for example, the queer touches, were not contemporary touches at all. Um, in fact, it was a product of the research of really ancient times, and it it, it certainly made me question a lot of things about how we are today, because um, in a lot of ancient African and and Native American tribes, actually, some of them have anywhere between six and 14 genders. So non-binary is nothing new. You know, people using plural pronouns, you know, that's thousands of years old. Uh, the queerness and accepting of, say, gay men and lesbians, it, it was popping up all over the histories I was reading and all over the folklore. So it's it says something that um, we think that this this vision of a past is making nods to the present, you know, when it's the present that forgot. It's interesting, you know, it's 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 um acceptance is what's old, it's homophobia that's new. Uh, you know, working together is old, it's bigotry that's new. You know, it's it's um even in, in the African context, it's a sexism that's new. It's not e- equality is old. It's a sexism. It's a sexism that's new, and it was all of this was from you know the research. So it 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 ha- it resonates with with today, and I'm glad it does. But I hope people realize that this is not this is not putting postmodern touches on a on a fantasy novel. This is actually tapping into the research and realizing, oh, we've been here before. We've mentioned a few other, I guess, fantasy writers or fantasy series along the way, but. When you were when you were setting out to write these novels, what other particular writers were an influence on you? Well, for, I mean, first of all, there, there's still the non the the literary fiction authors again because I don't distinguish. So, mm. um, particularly with with Moonwitch, I was actually rereading Beloved and Wolf Hall quite a bit. Um, the other person who I've been re rereading constantly because to me you know if if i'm going to pick masters of fantasy should be in my top three angela carter you know for lots of reasons but angela even more than most people explicitly returns to fairy tales and uncovers the terror in them and i think that's something and she's not a horror writer but i, I think that's something so so i turn to her quite a bit but also with these books it's wanting to read fantasy, but I also want to read where fantasy came from. It's wanting to read, um, you know, Lord of the Rings, but I want to know what Tolkien read. So there was a lot of that. It's going back to original sources from which they spun their tales. So it's reading the Mamignonian. It's reading the Icelandic sagas. It's reading Viking stories. It's reading the folk tales, not just of Africa, but of Europe, of Asia. It's rereading Arabian Nights. So that's what I, it, eventually, I think, if you're going to write fantasy, your vocabulary has to extend beyond fantasy to what did fantasy readers, what did the fantasy people read? So it means you're going to go back, you're going to have to go back to Beowulf, for example. And I, and I think that's what, and that's what I, I think that's what, but not I think that I know, that's what I ended up reading, the what my heroes read. Just before we finish, I'll, I'll get you to the readers a bit if you would, but just, just one more thing. I don't know what you can say about it yet, but is there anything you can say about what we can expect from the third novel? Um, well, not even my publisher knows who's going to narrate the third novel. <laughs> All I can tell you is the name of it is White Wing Dark Star. Okay, so we, we will look forward to that. To finish it people off. can look at that title and try to figure out, hmm, yeah. I wonder <laughs> yeah, but that's all I'm saying. Indeed, indeed. So can I get you to read us a bit to finish off? 
Sure, I just read um, actually the beginning, um, which you know it's introducing Sogolan, but it's also introducing the language because the the difference one of the differences between Moonwitch and Black Leopard is that Sogolan is speaking in a dialect that's a little close to Pigeon, so it's not it's not standard English or or although you know I don't think people think trackers will standard English either. So this is it. One night, I was in the dream jungle. It was not a dream, but a memory that jumped up in my sleep to usurp it. And in the dream memory is a girl. See the girl. The girl who live in the old termite hill. Her brothers three who live in a big hut. So that the hill look at like the rotting heart of a giant turned upside down. But she don't know what any of that mean. The girl. She's pressing her lips tight in the hill's hollow belly. The walls are red mud and rough to the touch. No window unless you call a hole a window, and if so, then many windows, popping all over and making light cut across her body, up and down and crossway, making heat sneak in and stay, making wind snake around the hollow. Termites long ago leave it, this hill. A place nobody would keep a dog, but look how this is where they keep her. Two legs getting longer, but still two six. Head getting bigger, but chest still flat as the earth. She may be right at the age before her body set loose, but nobody bothered to count her years. Yet they mark it every summer, mark it with rage and grief. They, her brothers. That is how they mark her birth, oh. At that time of year, they feel malice come as a cloud upon them, for which she's to blame. So she's pressing her lips together because that is a firm thing. Her lips as tight as the knuckles she's squeezing. Resolve set in her face to match her mind there decided she's going to flee crawl out of this hole and run and never stop running and if toe fall off she'll run and heel and if heel fall off she'll run and knee and if knee fall off she will crawl like a baby going back to her mother maybe her dead mother who didn't live long enough to name her with the small light coming and going through the entry holes she can count days with a smell of cow dung, she can tell that one brother is stilling the ground, which can only mean that it is either Arab or Gidada, the ninth or tenth day of the Kamsa moon. With one more look around, she sees the large leaf on which they dump a slop of porridge last evening, one of only two times every quarter moon that they feed her when they remember. Most of the time, they just let her starve. And if they finally remember late in the night, they say it's too late anyway. Let some spirit feed her in dreams. See the girl. Watch the girl as she hear. It's through her brothers yelling about when to plant millet and when to rest the ground that she learns season from season. Days of rain and days of dry tell her the rest. Otherwise, they just drag her out of the termite hill by a rope bound to the shackle they keep around her neck, tie her to a branch and drag her through the field, yelling at her to plow the cow shit, goat shit, pig shit and deer shit with her hands. Dig into the dirt with your hands and mix the shit deep so that you own food, which you don't deserve can grow. The girl is born with penance on her back, and to her three brothers, she will never pay it in full. So I've been talking to Marlon James. We've been talking about his latest novel, Moonwitch Spider King, which is out now from Hamish Hamilton, as well as the previous novel in this trilogy, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, which is out now in paperback. Marlon, thank you so much for taking the time to tell me about it. Sure, thanks so much for having me. This episode of Little Atoms was produced and presented by me, Neil Denny, edited by Sky Redman, and was first broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM. Little Atoms is supported by 89Up and hosted by Acast. 
If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and even tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.